This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Chris Joyce, and we're going to talk about Gusher, as well as how he has helped so many other organizations grow and scale throughout the world. Before we begin, I remind you, this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're a podcaster, YouTuber, or content creator, but you want to create tactical content that actually delivers, head over to nightly.productions to find out how we can help you not only discover, but also embrace and share your voice in that tactical way. Again, that's nightly.productions. Chris, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Man, I'm super excited because this is really going to be a conversation for entrepreneurs and hardcore entrepreneurs at that. And I want to give the audience, before we dive too far into your plethora of experience attached to things, I want to give the audience just a quick rundown where you're the founder and CEO of Gusher. Y'all really focus on a couple of different things that we're going to dive into. But other than Gusher, you've actually founded 24 other companies, including Joyce Co., Tech and Consumer Goods Startups. Is it Movi Video Messaging with Users, 153 Countries, yep. Excerpt, Smart Body Coolant, User, Financial Intelligence, SaaS. Let's keep going down the list, down the list, down the list of 11,000 stores with Oh Solo Foods. 23 countries. I mean, we could just talk all day about your experience. So you you have this huge amount of experience, but before we really get into the business conversation, I want to talk about something that's we might not know about you, something we might not have heard before. What's a fun fact that you can share with us that's not in your bio anywhere? Sure. I I'm actually have, have a problem with eating like cold pepperoni pizza. For some reason, that's my Achilles heel because I eat literally low carbon keto for decades. But damn, if, if there's you know basically cold pepperoni pizza in the fridge, it is just insanely difficult. And my wife orders the stuff every Friday night. And so it's kind of like a torture chamber every Friday night. So what I'm hearing is Saturday morning's breakfast, you're eating pizza, cold pepperoni pizza. It's just rough. I mean, Zach, it is rough. Then I have squat (laughs) and leg day right after. So it's yuck. Hey, and you can't skip leg day. We all know that. That is true. Never skip leg day. Never. I love it, man. I love it. Well, I want to give a a quick rundown of Gusher because I know that's the big endeavor for you right now. Overall, it's a simple, quick, and easy way to create and build a startup without the need for investors, which bootstrapping is an endeavor all of its own. So we'll definitely dive into that piece. But you help entrepreneurs create and launch that using performance-based equity, everything from tech to media, health to design, finance, gaming. Overall, you touch a lot of different industries, but I want to go way back. I want to go before Gusher, before the first startup. What got you set on the path of being your own individual in business and really going down this path instead of something like getting a nine to five or sticking out something that where you're answering to somebody not having the stress of helping so many other people build their dream? Well, I started at a really young age. I mean, going all the way back, I've owned my companies from the time I was single digits. My first, and I kid you not, I mean, literally when I was six years old, I saw an ad in the back of a Spider-Man comic for a business opportunity for going ahead and selling burpee seeds. Uh, They're still around to this day. I sent my five bucks in, got my 50 packets of burpee seeds, and I sold them door to door on an Air Force base. And it was the most brutal experience that uh, literally a six-year-old 
people could probably have, but that set me on the path. I mean, I literally haven't looked back since then. If you want to go to there, but there's other reasons. There's other things that have had major inputs, but it literally goes back to the time that I was six years old. Yeah, that, that's funny. Door-to-door sales seems to be like an entrepreneur's plight, but also where a lot of us started. And I started with door-to-door sales with Weedman, which is a lawn care service. Yeah. But I would knock up, knock on the door. Hey, can we have some weed or can we do something with weed? I'm like, oh, that's such a bad endeavor attached to like door-to-door sales because it's not an easy piece. What got you into like going beyond that where in door-to-door sales, like you're getting told no a lot over oh, yeah. and over and over again. Yet the fire's still alive with you to be told no thousands of times since then? Well, I just think door-to-door sales, and I don't want to go ahead and poo-poo it, I think it's actually the best education that any founder across the board can have. The lessons that you learn are just insanely valuable and they carry over. The fact of the matter is, even to this day, the stuff that I tell founders when it comes to going ahead and starting a company that always has to do with sales validation, I say to them, listen, you've got to sales validate you yourself, not bringing in outside people or an outside team for that. You yourself have to sales validate. You go out there. You're the one that's knocking on the doors, even if they're a tech company company or something else, because you're able to get that information so damn quickly back from your possible customer base that helps you to iterate a product. I mean, that literally goes back to -to door-to-door sales. That's something that's just extremely valuable. And I think everybody should do it for at least a couple of days, if not a couple of weeks or months, because not only do you become tough, you become very good at seeing almost in a way, every facet of life, every possible person, almost every type of objection is thrown at you. And you learn very quickly how to go ahead and develop rebuttals and everything else, which is what you need more importantly than a great idea. You need that fundamental structure, that foundation. Chris, I'm going to argue with you and play devil's advocate for two seconds. What about all these outsources? What about this capability to not have to do it myself? What about tech and automation and blah, 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 where I don't have to do it because I don't like it. I don't want to do it. Who cares if my name or my face or my brand is actually the fourth forthcoming piece of my business. Why does it matter? I'll tell you, it's like this. So I don't knock tech. I think tech can be utilized when it comes to very specific A-B testing. Tech can be utilized when it comes to certain specific funnels. Tech can be utilized when you're doing copy variations and whatever it may be. But tech doesn't help you find the soul of your company and what you're actually creating. So the fact of the matter is when you are talking specifically to your market, like we're doing right now, we're talking, we're interacting. I can see you. I can hear you. I can know that if I say something, whether or not it resonates with you, I can turn on a dime and then be able to say something else. Well, those things help you develop a product. From the beginning, if you're talking with your customers and you're hearing their problems, they're not operating at the same level as you are as the creator of this product. And so you're able to go ahead and hear their concerns, hear what they're running into, see what they do, see how they interact with the product, see what the real market is and be able to respond and change your product or modify your pitch almost in real time. And that is required wired because it helps you develop the soul, the DNA of your company. And that allows you to build, and I said this earlier, when I was talking about door-to-door, it helps you build on a rock-solid foundation because then you're not going through these iterations where you're just a commodity. You stand for something. You found your DNA. You found your really true mission that resonates with people. I 100% agree with you. And I hear that so much from clients saying, oh, I'll just hire this out or I'll have somebody do my social media engagement. I'll have somebody do my social 
social media. And it's crazy. They want to build a brand, but they don't want to engage with their customer. Well, let like me, you're let me, literally losing. Let me say, I want to cut you off right there because it's something really important that founders don't understand. Okay. And you can be the worst salesperson in the world. You can have the lowest emotional intelligence when it comes to the interaction of people. Okay. But when you're comparing, let's say, outsourced business development, outsourced sales validation to what you can do, let me just give you a hard and fast example. If you go ahead as founder and you visit a potential client and a biz dev person goes ahead and visits a potential client, somebody who may be in their contact base, you, even though you are in this perceived, self-perceived situation of not being a great salesman, of not being a great talker, of not being a great convincer and persuader, you are literally leap years, 10 times as effective as a professional business development exec because you bleed the shit. Number one, you bleed it, okay? Number two, you are founder. So therefore, if you're dealing with anyone else that's not a founder on the other side of the table, you are perceived as a superhuman, quite literally. And that is power. That is an asset in your war chest that you don't really see until you go out there and do it. And it's a great position to be in. It really is. And, and that's something that it's so crazy. People don't want to prioritize this anymore, especially on the small business side, right? They don't want to prioritize this piece. And maybe once you're making, you know, multi-mill a year, you can kind of take your foot off the pedal a little bit, but then you're still going to be doing something like this, like getting on a podcast or getting the PR pieces there. So you have to be that forward facing because, and we hear a lot, people are going to buy from people, not from businesses at that scale, right? Yeah, but Zach, also think of it this way. There was a stat, and I may be giving the incorrect numbers by a couple percent here and there, but there was a stat that said something like either 70, 80%, something like that, 70 to 80% of all business owners, when asked what their unique selling points of differentiation are, they said they didn't have any compared to their customers. So in other words, 70 to 80% of all businesses in a vertical, they view themselves as commoditized. So, you know, I say to myself, well, how can you possibly think that? Because you as founder, you as founder right off the bat are a main point of different of differentiation. You have a different DNA. Even if you may be selling a bottle of water and someone else is selling a bottle of water, you, your story, your background, your authenticity, showing the sausage being made, the way that you have in, can interact people with your company and everything else can be a big, big point of differentiation that separates you and turns you from a commodity to a perceived value add, to something different. And that goes a long way, especially with buying decisions, big way. I 100% agree with you. And you, and you look at different pieces, we're talking on that smaller level to really get the ball rolling. What about when it comes to that long-term play, 10 years down the road, multiple millions of dollars down the road? Is that changing at all? Is it shifting at all? Do you just redirect it in a more pivotal way? What shifts well, over the years? This again comes down to how the founder views their DNA and what they're doing. So let me give you an example. Typically, we see a company really change between the 10 to $50 million level. So somewhere in there, either they're going to double down and it almost in a way stays to what they're trying to accomplish or it evolves. I mean, vision can evolve. It can become something different so long as you were able to achieve your goals. It can be a stepping stone goal. Hey, you achieved this, you got here, now you're evolving into something else. But I still, to this day, okay, for an hour or two a day, every day, I'm still reaching out to new investors. I'm still reaching out to new contacts. I'm still reaching out to new partnership possibilities and seeing if there may be some synergies there or ways we can work together. 
Why? Because that's how you continually grow. That's how that evolves. It's kind of like, you know, you brush your teeth every day. You, you breathe air every day. You eat every day. Work out maybe most days. I do that almost every damn day. I go ahead and explore the unknown. It works. And I love this conversation because it's something that you can get, obviously you're very passionate about, right? You really sure. see this. I'm sure you've seen it over the years of starting your own organizations, helping people with theirs. Where did you gain this knowledge and this insight from? Is this something where you've gone out and just done the market testing? Did you read a book? Did you find a mentor? How did you get this ideology attached to how people grow their business? Well, when you start a lot of businesses, and I mean a lot of businesses, this is the weird thing. So if you start two, three, four of them, most people would consider that a serial entrepreneur. All right. And there are certain things, certain patterns that start to appear. But when you get above 15, 20, 25 businesses, you start to see massive patterns. Okay. So one of my businesses was a business brokerage and I purposely started that business. It was at a very young age and it actually ballooned up very big company, but it was a golden handcuffs deal. So I went ahead and left it at an early age. But the reason I went and did that business brokerage was because it gave me the foundation to have and speak all these different industries and verticals. But having done that and seen it, what you start to realize is that all businesses are really a function of three things, people, philosophy, and property. So the difference between, let's say, a Microsoft and an Apple, well, yeah, they got different people. That, that's definitely obvious. They have different products. That's definitely obvious, okay? But also, really, fundamentally at their core is a different philosophy, a different way of viewing product development. And those three iterations can really make up any business, but there's an infinite amount of possibilities that lay within those three different things. So we get people, we get product philosophy. That's an interesting thing because that's something that is essentially intangible, yep. but needs to be tangible for the business to really truly succeed. And right. it can be that like rise or fall mechanism, right? You could be truly altruistic and it'd be great for your business, or maybe you're too far that way and you're not actually seeing the way to make the business profitable. Have you seen that mix of like, maybe you're too far in the philosophy and not the practical application side of things? What we see is is this, and we're talking about now hundreds of companies in, involved with and seeing what works, what doesn't, everything else. What we see is that the simplistic mission statements, okay, are nice and dandy, but they don't really accomplish much, okay? So when I'm talking about philosophy and what works, I'm almost in a way talking about, yes, there's a way of treating people. Yes, there's a way of interacting with your employers, your partners, your partners. And almost in a way, I don't want to sound too cheesy, but almost in a way, it always comes back to the golden rule. You just do what's right by other people, and most times it comes back to you in spades. But it really comes down to just putting that out there in some way. So we have our fundamental belief structure. Our people know what that is. They know what our goal, our mission is, but also it comes down to leading with your action. You let your actions speak volumes. And, you know, I know that may be a common thing, but in business, it not, it, it, it's always do as I say, not as I do. And that's usually the status quo. I believe in doing the opposite. You have to eat, breathe, and live what you're actually saying. I mean, you see that as you hear the jokes, oh, I'm your mother, I'm your father, do as I say, not as I do, right? Just do Absolutely. what I say. But then you see in a business, I saw it in the military, I saw it in law enforcement, just do what I tell you to do. But then yep. I saw you do, and you always hear that piece, 
culturally speaking, all of a sudden the buy-in to your own organization isn't there anymore. And you're losing right. that employee engagement, essentially. Yeah. That employee engagement, I think, actually goes back almost in a way to finding the right people for you. Not necessarily just finding a team, the right you know employees, whatever it may be, but finding the right people that are in alignment with you. Does this mean that your place is going to be the most perfect place to work? No. Does this mean that you know your business is going to be fulfilling for them on some very very deep level? Chances are not. You know, but at the same time, it's something that can touch on that. It's something they can come in and feel good at least at a minimum about what they're doing. That stuff is important. That stuff is what helps move that sled right up that mountain instead of going ahead and trying to get the whip out and getting your employees to do it. That is what gets engagement is that there's a shared philosophy, a shared, you know, I don't want to say mission because I don't like that word, but a shared end game as to what you're trying to do. And I think that applies internally for sure, right? Yeah. But also externally, when you look at getting the buy-in from a customer or those raving fans, and you start looking at people that are buying into that philosophy of your organization, everything around me is Apple. I bought into the philosophy, right? I have an iMac, I have two iPhones, AirPods, yada, 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 right? I bought into the philosophy of what they put forward as almost the way they create their environment, like the Starbucks of the world. It's not a coffee company. It's a meeting location, right? Yeah. When you start crafting those, I think it really fills forward for the organization. How do you help people craft that experience though? Well, in terms of the teams, it comes down to a very simple thing. And let me give you an example, okay? So we have a company on our platform called Happy Howl. It's a dog food company, extremely, you know, capital intensive industry. It's a red ocean industry. So the founder is by the name of Colin Buckley. Colin went ahead and had a sick dog. His vet went ahead and told him, eat this dog food, have their dog eat this dog food, so on and so forth. Dog kept dying. So he hacked his own dog food over three, four, five months. Dog magically came to life. And he said, hey, let me go ahead and create a dog food company. I'm telling you this for a reason, okay? So Colin went ahead, he went ahead and started to put his team together, his first team, and he brought in people that had managed $50 million budgets, $100 million budgets, you know, really big players, names that you know that you have in your cupboard, okay? Consumer goods companies. The company imploded six weeks later, okay? Just, yeah, it absolutely imploded. He then listened to what I told him. He was ready to actually listen. Most founders are kind of like, cats. They don't listen to you. Okay. So he listened and his second team all had something in common. Now, this is a team that literally a year later, the company's growing insanely. It's growing 30% month over month, 10 million valuation. Plus they just got a huge deal with a major retailer, which is coming out the announcement in a couple of weeks. There's one thing that ties his second team all together. Okay. It's a dog food company, Zach. What do you think tied them all together? It's not a trick question. It's not esoteric. It's not some weird thing. It's a dog food company. What do you think they all had in common? I would hope the love of dogs. Love of dogs. They all had dogs. They didn't have kids. They are dog parents. Mm -hmm. They eat dogs, breathe dogs, live dogs, poop dogs. They are dog zealots. And so that's really what you want to have when you're building a company in the initial stages. When you grow, it becomes a whole different animal. But in the initial stages, you need to have people that really get what you're doing. I really think and get your philosophy and can actually almost in a way take it further than you could on your own. And I think that's extremely important, insanely important. I love that because then, then it's like a wildfire concept, right? All of a sudden it starts growing, 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 and you're not having exactly. to drive the train as hard. I think that's huge. And when we look at your experience and we kind of think about 
all the organizations you've had, and when you're so focused in that one direction, trying to make these things a success, do you believe in that so-called work-life balance? Is there an integrated life? You know, you talk about you have to be the brand, you have to be in the business, you have to do this, this, and this. How has that gone? How is how do you see that balance happening among all these startups? Okay, you want the simple answer, or you want a little bit more extended answer? You want let's me to hear do the both. extended because I feel like the simple is not going to cover it for us. Well, the simple answer is it's total bullshit. There's no such thing as work balance. It doesn't. <laughs> that does cover it. You're right. Never mind. Right. That covers it. <laughs> the longer version of the answer is this: it goes in stages. So I imagine it like a parking structure, a spiral parking structure. It's not a straight line where you're having this thing and you're going up and it's constant and everything else. But what you're doing is you're going up a parking level, then it evens out. Then you go up another level, then it evens out. So there may be a a period of time where, okay, and I've done this. I slept on a factory floor for two years, but I wasn't married and I didn't have kids. And then it came to where, okay, you're traveling the country and you're doing whatever for a period of time. And that's the next level. And then you keep graduating to levels. You don't stay in that level where you always hear about the hustle and, you know, insane work hours, which I still do, but not at the level or the way I used to do them. You just evolve, you evolve and grow and you get better at it too. And there's a compounding effect from doing that stuff at an early stage. Yeah, I I really agree with that. The simple answer kind of hit it. It's bullshit, right? Because you have to have, and I think a lot of people don't understand, like there is the hustle, there is the grind, there is a time to let off the pedal and hit the pedal even harder, you know, and you kind of have that ebb and flow. And I think it's a really difficult thing for a lot of us to understand and learn. And I want to kind of integrate Gusher into this because as I researched the company and saw what y'all focus on, it's really equity-based performance where you're really focused on helping people build in a different way. Can you kind of give us a rundown of the value that Gusher brings into this entrepreneurship versus that people may be starting? Sure. Well, think of it this way. Gusher is a platform to launch companies without the need for capital, without the need for investors. So what happens is people join your company. They join your startup in exchange for performance-based equity. And what I usually say to founders is, what would you do if you had a million or two million in the bank account? right this second. What type of company would you build? How would you build it? And then gusher that because that's what we do all day, every day. Everything from B2B, B2C, B2B2C, and everything in between. Consumer goods, manufacturing, SaaS, fintech, AR, VR, AI, gaming, medical devices, prop tech, you name it, we've got it. And more importantly, we've got an extremely high success rate where these companies become either self-sustaining and or attract larger scale capital. And so it's a way to start companies, not based upon who you know, not whether or not you live in Silicon Valley, New York, or Israel. You could be stuck in the middle of absolutely nowhere or South Africa or Portugal or Eastern Europe or Central America or Iowa and still be able to launch a company without using a penny. And we don't ever ask for a penny, not one. So what makes it tick on y'all's end? How do y'all get the give? Because there has to be that give and take. Equity is a very, very scary thing for people. And if you're never expecting to sell, maybe you're not worried about it. But at some point, equity partners mean something and there is weight attached to that. So what's that give and take? Well, think of it this way. When you're founding a company, you never give equity without having a performance tie-in. You don't do it based upon time or anything else. You do it on completion of goals. So the point of using Gusher is to create a company where you need the help of others to actually make that happen. So we don't call it a minimum viable product, an MVP in the common vernacular. We call it an MVP, a market 
viable product. So the point is, is that you're putting this team together to create almost in a way, a generational different product that leapfrogs generations so that you can become self-sustaining and or attract larger scale capital. And the way that you do it is it's not meant as an ongoing work methodology. It's meant to get you from point A to that MVP, that market viable product, to where you're generating revenue, where you're out in the business world and actually seeing revenue. It's not meant to be black hole research or maybe necessarily figuring stuff out. It's meant to really produce and setting the standard high from almost the very beginning. That might be a little bit difficult for small business owners or hopeful, like side hustle people trying to make a small business sure. and not make another job. How do you coach people through that? How do you like conceptualize that for somebody that might not have thought on that level yet? Sure. Well, really, it's taking them through the process. So as I said, there's no charge or anything like that, but we have a lot of interaction, a lot of founder interaction. But here's what we find, all right? We have a saying on Gusher, one plus one doesn't equal two. One plus one equals done. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that the second that a founder is able to attract one person, and it only takes one person, for performance-based equity into his team, then suddenly the light bulb goes off. Then suddenly they actually believe it can be done. And then suddenly the others follow. And once you have one person on board and the others start following, well, now you've got a team. Now, now almost in a way, the company starts to take on a life of its own. It's just a different entity. It's something that starts breathing. It's something that starts walking. It's something that starts progressing. And that doesn't mean that there's no bumps in the road. What it means is that we have a process that hopefully reduces the bumps in the road and gets you through it. And that's why we have a process. Yeah, I saw y'all posted here recently something about trusting the process and the process really being key because I think that's huge. And it's funny as you're talking about having that first person jump in on it. There's a Dale Carnegie concept in leadership always about that first follower. And sometimes the greatest leaders are that first follower. And finding that great leader that will be your first follower, it makes a ton of sense about why that would help catch momentum moving an organization forward. And it seems like that process is really good for you. Yeah. And also think of it this way, who in their right mind would join a company that they didn't believe in, the idea anyway, to go ahead and just get some possibility of equity in the future? Now, people will join a company that they fundamentally don't believe in for salary. They will most definitely do it. But will somebody spend their excess time, their time to go ahead and help you build this and get it off the ground if they don't believe in it? The answer is no. So that's almost in a way a market vetting mechanism as to whether or not the founder can really bring that first person on their team. It's a big deal where we come from. It's part of our thesis. Yeah, that's fascinating. I love that process because that's a little bit different way and different mechanism to kind of leverage things forward. And I think it's a huge option because the seven companies I've started, they've all been bootstrapped. So it's something like you grind and you grind and you you try to figure out those team members and those teammates. And this is like a a little bit of a way to build a team in a very different way without having to think, all right, I've got to go spend a hundred grand on a C-level executive or a new employee. Right. And, and think of it this way, you know, you, you have operational experience as fractional COOs. I mean, you, you have the in-depth experience of doing that. Well, guess what? In all different verticals, all different job sets, all different expertise and skill sets across the globe, literally, there is excess capacity. I mean, people are not sitting there working 100, 120 hours a week, typically. They're usually doing their standard you know, work week. And then they say, hey, you know, you've got some excess time here. What can I do to make that the most productive? And a lot of times they start their own companies, but a lot of times they join in these companies and bring them and bring them to fruition, actually get them going. 
And it yeah, makes I, sense because it allows them to have their laser focus in their industry right. and get something that they specifically specialize in. Yeah, that's huge. And it allows you to focus. And once you focus and you get that right person, right seat, right place and time aspect, right? They're on the bus Absolutely. and the bus starts moving forward. I love that. And I'm curious, Chris, as you've built all these companies, you've done all this, all these things, you've gained all this experience and now you're giving it forward in Gusher. What's the legacy you want to leave in the world with all this that you're pushing out there? I fundamentally believe that talent is spread evenly. Opportunity is not. And so we're looking to fix that. What I'm looking to do is untap as much human potential within my lifetime as possible. And that's it. Leave life empty and untap as much human potential as possible. And I think that's good enough. Yeah, I love it. And that opportunity is a huge thing for a lot of us out there. That's all we ever really want. And once you get that opportunity, the likelihood of you betting on yourself and succeeding just goes out there higher and higher and higher. So I love that you're presenting that opportunity. What's the best way for the audience to follow you, find more information, get more details about how to maybe be a part of it or take their potential startup onto your platform? Yeah, definitely. Anybody can go to gusher.co, G-U-S-H-E-R.co, and simply go ahead and find me there, or they can start a startup draft, start up anything else that they wish to do. It doesn't cost a damn thing. They can go ahead and do it and just join and and get going immediately. Uh, You can also find me anywhere, like LinkedIn, I'm pretty big and other places, but really I do a lot on LinkedIn. I love it. I definitely encourage everybody, reach out to Chris, find out more of this information. I, I saw you're very active on LinkedIn, lots of good content out there, but definitely reach out, connect, find out more about Gusher. And then of course, come back this Friday. We're going to have Tactical Friday where we really unleash the tactics attached to how entrepreneurs can succeed through Gusher. Overall, Chris, I appreciate your time and all the energy you brought to the show today, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.